In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. This show will attempt to find the good, the bad, and the weird, and convey them in a seriously irreverent way. Get ready, adventurer, and as always, we apologize for the inconvenience. Hi, I'm Steven. I'm Aaron. And I'm John. In studio today, we have, I gotta look this up because I didn't have it memorized, but State Representative Joe Dorman, House District 65 it was, correct? That's right. But you are now the uh, Community Outreach Director for Heart Mobile. That is correct. And you are our special guest today. Thank you, Joe, for coming in. It's a pleasure to be Joe's here with here. you guys. Joe, Joe. Dorman! <laughs> this we is going to be fun. wanted to have you on for a while, and we've talked before about it, but we just, it's one of those things where it kind of slips. Well, and I've been debating talking about this point because I feel like it's been belabored in so many other episodes, but the first time that I talked to Joe about it, was it a bingo show? Bingo <laughs> night. Because he had won a game of bingo. I, I, he tied with you tied with somebody, and she came up and checked the card, and then you came up and I said, What's your name? And you go, Joe, and I go, Joe Dorman? <laughs> Somebody thinking you asked me, everybody, Joe's here. And because you recognize me, I just let her take it. I didn't split with her. <laughs> You're like, oh, just take take your ten dollars. Nice of you. <laughs> but then that's uh, yeah, we got to talking about you uh, possibly coming on the podcast. So it's great to finally have you here and we got a lot of stuff we want yeah. to talk about. And you sort of re recently re-entered my radar because you did a little fancy driving recently. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> we wanted to hear a little bit about uh, about that experience. With my namesake up in Tulsa. With your namesake <laughs> up in Tulsa. <laughs> Joe. Joe Biden. Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. <laughs> so you were the motorcade driver? That's right. For him specifically? Like you for were driving the his? White House staffers, not okay. for him. Okay. Uh, they would never trust me with him. <laughs> <laughs> but say, how did you like clear that? That seems like a hurdle to jump. So yeah. Joe Biden was here in, in, Tul- in Tulsa, not in Oklahoma City. What that, was he doing in Tulsa? That's correct. Uh, they arranged for him to come in and do a fundraiser for the Democratic National Committee. He was doing a swing of states in our area. And Michael Whalen, who is on the DNC Finance Committee, who lives in Tulsa, set it up. Uh, the intent was to raise about $100,000, and they ended up raising about 250000 So it nice. was a huge turnout. People love Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, it was just an amazing experience. And I was asked to be one of the sponsors and one of the hosts for the event, and I agreed to do that. And then the opportunity came up to be one of the drivers in the motorcade. They always asked two or three local people to participate. So myself and two former municipal officials ended up volunteering for this and had a wonderful time. It was great to uh-huh. see the behind the scenes of that. Yeah. Felt like I was in a West Wing episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a, a lot of production goes into it, a lot of organization. There's a lot of people directing stuff behind the scenes. Yes, they uh, obviously do the background checks to make sure that everything is background kosher. Checks. They okay. want to make sure you haven't had a DUI or a felony or any major issue that would prevent you from participating. And for the guests, they had it at a hotel restaurant. I'm sorry, they had it at a restaurant uh, in, in Tulsa. And all of the people there had to go through screening metal detectors. And we got to go through the 
kitchen area, kind of like what you would imagine <laughs> escorting the the dignitaries. Yeah. And it was just such a cool experience. And I had the chance to visit with him afterwards. Nice. And told him who I was. And he said he recognized my name and thanked me for my service. Huh. And awesome. of course, I told him I wished to, he was able to continue in public office. I think he truly is one of those. Uh, public servants that truly has the right heart for mm-hmm. the people who are struggling, the ones that need representation. I've always found it odd that they escort these people through kitchens because, like, you're taking them through a part where it's like all these professional knife wielders and There's it's like fire and, and <laughs> explosives and knives and sharp objects. I mean, they take Boiling all the knives oil. out of the room while everybody walks through. Because I just did some traveling and we were at a restaurant and my cousin ordered steak and eggs for breakfast. And he was trying to cut a steak with this plastic knife. We're behind TSA. He's like, oh, "Can I get a steak knife?" And the waitress just looks at him like. No, <laughs> like you're in an airport. Like we can't give you a knife. Like, so it's just funny to me that they take them through, take them through the was kitchen. Maybe one of the most dangerous parts of a restaurant. <laughs> and with him, he's one of those guys. He stops and talks to everyone who wants to visit with him. He was late getting to an event in Texas because every single person at the event that was in the reception line who wanted a photograph, wanted a selfie or just to say yeah. something to him, he gave them that time. Yeah, I saw something recently. I don't remember what he was talking about, but it was some recent event that occurred. I don't know if it was one of the shootings or something else. I mean, they were talking about how he's one of the only officials who would just stop and talk to reporters because they were throwing questions at him. And he was on his way from point A to point B and stopped and was answering these questions that nobody else would bother to answer. I think he's always come across as that personable. Like, Well, yeah, and I can even can, uh, recall seeing on the Facebook stream uh, right after that event occurred, there were people from Oklahoma City up there, obviously, and they were all posting their pictures with him. And, yeah, I mean, it made him seem like he is a man of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, he will talk to you oh, and spend time I, with you. You know, a politician should be. Absolutely. A representative should be. It should be somebody who goes down and speaks to the people. You shouldn't use it as something as, as like a celebrity status where – Sorry, I'm the governor. I cannot speak to you. (laughs) And uh, going back to my early days, when I was in middle school, it was about the time he was first looking at running for president. And I'm sure back then it was just because we had the same name. But he's always been one of those guys I looked up to and and researched him. And he truly has been that way his entire life. Well, he grew up in small town, small town, coal mine town in in Mm -hmm. north central Pennsylvania, like Scranton or something like that. Took the train home every night to be around his family after his wife. And uh, I think it was his daughter passed away and was there during the recovery period for his sons. Uh, It's just an amazing story. And he truly did not lose his identity. Uh, while all that tragedy happened and throughout his entire service. He has quite a bit of tragedy, hasn't he? He has. And then his son passed yeah. away, and his son probably had a bright future in politics. Yeah. That was earlier this year, wasn't it? Or, yeah. Uh, no, I hadn't, hadn't heard any of that, actually. Yeah, he's he's gone through some tough spots. Yeah, his son had, <clears throat> I think it was cancer, mm-hmm. and ended up passing away. Yeah, I was listening to NPR on the way home from work, and... Um, I know that we'll probably hit up on like the reflecting pool and arch thing that's <laughs> happening here in Oklahoma, but uh, uh, apparently recently they've revealed or unveiled this bust of Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that? I did not see that. Like, there is a I don't I don't know if it's in if it's in the White House or if it's in Congress or, or was where that a this real thing. I thought that was like an Onion article or something. No, that was a real thing. And now, there, did it come with the Darth Vader voice also? <laughs> yeah, in the but it was, it was like this whole ceremony that that there's now a, a unveiling and a bust of Dick Cheney. 
And one of the people that got up and spoke and kind of gave, I guess, some anecdotes about him uh, was Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden kind of talked about it. I know how a lot of people think that Dick Cheney's evil, but, you know, I like him and he's a good guy and he's a good friend of mine. And just, well, he's I don't know, part just, blizzard man, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dick Cheney? Yeah, the, it's it's a pretty well known conspiracy theory that Dick Cheney is part of the lizard people. Who are the um, lizard people? It's just a group of aliens, I believe. Who it's live underground, like, the, like in V. Yeah, like in V. <laughs> I was going to say same ones that have had to fight Captain Kirk. Yeah, right. yeah. those. <laughs> wow, he's interesting. Just, he's, he's I, an easy I, did, I did not know about that conspiracy thing. Well, yeah, so I um, I also wanted to talk about that. Uh, I only saw a brief article on this topic and I, I didn't want to believe it so I didn't read much more about it and haven't seen much more on it but is there really talk of putting an archway and a reflecting pool in front of the state capitol you probably know as much as I do at this okay. point. I read the Tulsa World article, and it was presented by the Capital Preservation Commission with their intent to try and fix up the Capitol, repair the damage that's happened from neglect over the years, and then beautify the building and make it a, a very nice Capitol building for the public because it truly is still the, the people's building. And, and the, the, the addition of the dome was, I think, much needed, and it is it beautiful. Was. And part of the problem, going back to even then, the dome was Frank Keating's idea to finish that. There had been an effort to raise the money privately. He joined in with that. Now, when it was said and done, they only raised half of the amount that was necessary to finish that. So Keating negotiated hardball with the legislators at the time and ended up securing the other half of the money through state appropriations. So the dome was completed. And through the years, they've looked at other things. That arch was something in the original plans by the architect, Solomon Andrew Layton, who oh, is that wanted what it to is? do that. Yeah, that okay. was originally slated to be there. The reflecting pool, I don't believe it was. But this was something that was added on to the proposal that was given by this committee this week to legislators and the general public. The repair cost, we knew it when it passed with the bond issue last time around, that it was only going to be about half of the amount. They wanted to get half of it and then come back and ask for the other half. These incidentals were added on as well to the tune of about $65 million. All of it would be run through a bond issue. So I think we're talking close to $200 million total if wow. that were a part of it. And my argument was, we're not going to do a bond issue for school storm shelters or school security, right. but we're going to do a bond for an archway and a reflecting pool. That's mistaken. That is when priorities. it becomes ridiculous. Like, well, I have no problem having a beautified grounds on the Capitol, having an archway, but if that's the approach you're going to take when you won't do it, when it applies to something that's actually important, I think that diminishes the idea of beautifying the grounds. Now you've kind of made it seem more important than actual issues of safety for children well and there seems to be a lot of different topics lately of budget shortfalls from education right. and from department of corrections i mean even this proposal for these inner the new uh, turnpikes and you know it's been like a billion dollars on new turnpikes that and the question is like is this the best use of this money i mean if we've got all these shortfalls all over the place is it really the best use to add 65 million dollars of reflecting pool and marble arches now or can we, you know, let's take care of a few of the other things first and then work on that when we solve those other problems. And the way they're doing this, it's all adding on debt. With the turnpikes, and I would argue that some turnpikes in the state are actually needed. We do need to see some areas that would 
provide better connection to different parts of the state because that would increase economic development opportunities and make it easier for people to travel throughout the state. But every time we do one of those, it adds on to the bond indebtedness because all of the turnpikes are lumped in together with one bond issue. So anytime you add on a new turnpike, that delays the payout for years. Oh, okay. So anytime you put on a turnpike that's not going to pay for itself over a short period of time, it increases that debt for years. Really, we only have two turnpikes that are profitable in the state, H.E. Bailey and the Turner. Mm -hmm. The rest of them are living off the money that's generated from those two. So there, yeah. So there's two that are supporting everything else, basically, for the yes. most part. You know, the one I can say there is the Cimarron Turnpike that goes down towards Callister. Mm-hmm. Indian Nation is the Indian one that Nation. runs off 40 down to McAllister. Uh, we've got the one that's the Creek Nation Turnpike up by Tulsa. That's a loop around. There are several different turnpikes out there. Cimarron, I believe, is the one up by Stillwater and Enid. Okay, and. A lot of them are great, and that under my administration, I honestly wanted to look at a way to provide those turnpikes because this is a pay-as-you-go system. It's a fair taxation. If you're going to use that road, you're helping pay for it, and there are certain areas of the state that truly do need that connection. Like what 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 parts of the state do you think would benefit from that the most that need it? The remote corners. Uh, you look up towards Woodward. You look down towards Altus. Uh, there's no good way to get from Altus to McAllister. Okay. Uh, you've got the Indian Nation. It would be nice if we could connect that up further and go up mm-hmm. uh, towards the northeastern part of the state. So sure There's no quick way to Woodward. No, there really isn't. <laughs> So if we had ways of that sounds like that, a song. It's like a blues song. Maybe that that'll be the song that we write for. There's no pie. quick way to Woodward. And I'm the only one in my family who know musical talent, so don't count on me for that. <laughs> but the the legislature and the governor have tremendous responsibilities. The legislation that goes through, they have a. Uh, they have an obligation to do the right thing towards the public. So looking at things like this proposal on beautifying the capital, they need to make sure that they're good stewards of the taxpayer dollars. And we're looking at a $1.2 billion shortfall by the early estimates. Wow. And last year, the estimates doubled. So I am certainly hoping that we'll not grow any higher than $1 billion, but Everything that's being presented right now, it looks like the legislature is going to have to make some tough cuts because they will not raise taxes. They could raise taxes, but because of state question 640, there is very little likelihood a Republican-controlled legislature we'll will generate taxes, any yeah. more revenue. Yeah. What was state question 640? It was passed uh, several years ago. I want to say in the – my mind's uh, – I believe it was the early 1990s, it put restrictions on the legislature on their ability to raise taxes. You can pass by a majority vote the opportunity to send a tax increase to a vote of the people that would pass by a majority vote of the people, or a three-fourths vote of the legislature can implement a tax increase. Okay. So we will never see that three-fourths come out of the Capitol. No, uh-uh. And honestly, we haven't seen the a majority of the legislature have the willingness to even submit something to a vote of the people. A couple of times it's been tried, and no luck. So well. they have to live within their means, but then they come through and pass further and further tax cuts, and that reduces the opportunity to bring revenue in. Wow. I didn't really expect us to go this yeah, serious. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, no, I, I get in professor a, mode sometimes. That's not a negative thing at all. Like we're I, out of money. Yeah, I mean, and that's we that's, are. 
and if you live if you look at the state budget like you have your own personal budget you draw a paycheck a tax cut is essentially reducing your monthly paycheck and saying oh i don't need that we'll just cut that back well you may need it down the road Mm -hmm. and we have a state savings account the rainy day fund that does have a cap on it and we've had to go through and raid that a couple of times governor fallon asked governor henry to drain the rainy day fund in preparation for what we knew was going to be a budget shortfall and so governor henry to his credit worked in a bipartisan manner to make sure that that money was there for Governor Fallon to use. And then we talk about the stimulus. A lot of people hated the bailout that happened, but right. that was a billion dollars over two years that kept the state afloat. Yeah. Well, I just read something about, um, and I don't know the details of it, so I'm curious for your take on it, about in Minnesota. They did some sort of tax increase a few years ago and that has now resulted a couple years later in like an almost $2 billion surplus. And I was reading of some of the positive things that have come out of that statewide, like public Wi-Fi access and all, all these little things they've been able to fund and still have this money left over. Like how, how is it that we're not, we can't justify like these, why are we fighting so hard against these, what would probably be very small relative tax increases to solve these problems? It's just a mindset that the politicians get in their heads, and then they sell to the voters, we gave you a tax cut. We're going to put this money back in your pocket. And the tax cut, with an income tax cut, the general public is probably going to see a 25 to $50 savings annually. <clears throat> the income tax cut benefits those top income earners. And if you ask many of them, they would rather see their money go into the infrastructure and see better roads and bridges, see better schools, see better quality of life and health care. When you look at the numbers, uh, the registration up in the Nichols Hills area is pretty heavily Republican, but I ended right. up winning that area. So is it really? I did. So you can see a message when you reach out to the people who pay attention to the issues. Uh, it will convince them to go down one way or the other. And and that's one of the things we tried to do with my campaign. I got outspent three to one, and I had a third of the money of the Democratic candidate from four years before. If we'd had a little bit more money and could have uh, reached out with the message and let people get to know me a little bit better, it may have been yeah. a different story. Well, and that's something that let's address here is the people that don't vote. Um, so you uh, wh- when was the campaign the the last campaign what year was that was that November 2014 was the general 2014. election okay and and you were obviously running for governor and you lost to Mary Fallon by how many votes it was about 122,000 votes 122,000 votes okay about how many 800,000 Oklahomans voted for governor out of roughly 2 million that could have voted so okay wow so, so 2 million could have voted if you are if you are one of those people out there that doesn't vote because you think that your vote doesn't matter just realize this is that if you don't like mary fallon being in office and you wish that joe dorman had been there instead and you're one of the people that didn't vote there's a really good example for you of what happens when you don't vote and you can look at certain areas i won oklahoma city i won tulsa i won lawton i won norman most of the major population centers i won now it wasn't by a significant margin Mm -hmm. whereas mary did win heavily in the suburbs and the rural areas and there were two hundred thousand fewer voters in 2014 than there were in 2010 
horrible weather, but also the issue of people just not believing I had a chance. Therefore, they just didn't go vote because they didn't want to waste and their time. And that happened because of a campaign that Mary Fallon waged, right? Like trying to convince people that your vote doesn't matter. And I, it, it depends on the political strategy. I wouldn't say it was a campaign wage, but it was certainly strategy. You say it enough times, people believe it. People believe you it. tell people, oh, well, he's a nice guy, but he just doesn't have a chance. Well, mm-hmm. well, people I don't start know believing how it. many times I heard people say, she's never lost an election. So, and at that point, neither had I. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. That's a valid point. But just, I was also a little-known state representative who had represented 38,000 Oklahomans, and she had been a statewide official for multiple terms. Yeah. She had been a congresswoman. Uh, that name recognition certainly hurt me. Now, you can look at the contrast on something recent. John Bell Edwards, the guy who won governor of Louisiana, same situation. He was a state representative that ran against a senator, well-known. The two major differences in our campaigns were he got into the race far earlier than I did. I was only in the race for 10 and a half months. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I guess and, I didn't realize that. And he had been in for a couple of years, and he also had the financial resources that people donated and the, the assistance from the National Party that I did not receive. Would so, you run again? I want to run again. You want to run again? Public service is in my blood. I truly enjoy working for the people. That aspect is something that's just the way my parents raised me mm-hmm. uh, from my early days. I've always enjoyed volunteering and have loved serving in public office, and I want to find that right niche. I want to run for governor again, but I'm going to wait until it gets a little bit closer to make sure that that's the right thing to yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. Now, your term as House Rep, it actually ended earlier this year, right? It did. I guess back in January. Yeah. How long were you in office for? I served 12 years 12 in the years. State House. Wow. And also, I was a staff member at the Capitol for seven years before, and I worked in Washington, D.C. for a year and a half. So about 20 years of my life has been dedicated to public service through uh, the legislative uh, branch, and I've loved that. And I will say I have enjoyed being in the private sector. I'm, I'm enjoying the work I'm doing now and still playing quite a bit of politics and trying to help out. Well, and you're still a man of the community, too. But I mean, still, you I mean, do... It's great to see how much, you, yeah, you're involved and in, in just events all over the place. Um, particularly, I live in the Paseo, and we've recently started doing the uh, Uptown Farmer's Market, and you brought one time a truckload of Rush Springs watermelons and cantaloupes, and just everybody was so excited about that. It was great to see you out there representing Rush Springs and, you know, just being a part of what was going on down here, even though you don't live down here anymore. We joked around about that. Uh, I served as the... Uh, co-chair and chair of the Watermelon Festival for a couple of times before uh, I ran for governor. And then my Lions Club that runs the Watermelon Festival in Rush Springs, they gave me a year off. They understood that I was a little busy in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> Got more important things to handle than watermelons. <laughs> and then when I lost, they reached out to me and said, congratulations, your consolation prize is you get to be chairman of the Watermelon <laughs> Festival again. So, we kept the seat warm for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love doing that. I still serve with a lot of community activities. I'm a member of Bricktown Rotary since I work in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. and still active in my community back home. In fact, uh, we talked about planning a community church Christmas dinner, and I'm going to help out with that back home. So right small on. town church, but yes. we're going to try and provide a dinner and some fellowship for people in the community. That's fantastic. But things like that. I just love doing that. Yeah. And it shows. Well, that seems to me like... It- it's the way I feel lately because we were talking earlier about 
sending votes to the people through the legislature and all that stuff. And it seems to me like a lot of politicians have been there for so long that they've kind of become disconnected from what people are actually thinking and doing out there. Because you read, I mean, it feel like I see all the time these polls that are taking place, especially in Oklahoma, of like people, when you just ask them, a majority of them are leaning one way, but then you hear it come down from the legislature and they're like, oh, no, we'd never allow that to happen in Oklahoma. People don't want that. People don't. It's like, well, wait a minute. I'm getting information that people are saying they want that and you're saying that they don't. So why don't we just ask? And I feel like somebody that like you, you're out there still, you're in these communities, you're, you're connected to people, you're listening to what they say. Like one of the things that stuck with me from your campaign was that you traveled to every single county in the state, right? I have that I right. I did, yeah. yep. And that to me is like, and didn't, didn't you just like drive your truck? Like, was it like a big ordeal or you just personally drove out there on your own? I mean, did you take an ensemble of people to go and make these appearances or was it just more like i'm going to go and visit these people and talk to them some days it was in my old ford pickup i have a 95 <laughs> f-150 it's still parked in my driveway and i think it's still got one more good campaign in it so we'll <laughs> see what happens but also i had a car and always had somebody travel with me just with the way things are going nowadays you have to be on the go all the time and it's impossible for one person to to drink that much coffee and stay awake <laughs> and I had a good team. We had 14 staffers on my campaign. And part of the problem, going back to that too, and we've created a program. Governor Henry and I are working on a project called Impact 46. We're wanting to bring a national campaign training in to recruit young people, hopefully recent college graduates, who are interested in politics and send them through this national program to teach them how to be staffers. We had those opportunities when I was at that age to get the on-the-job training. But nowadays, we seem to lose the bright talent. They leave Oklahoma because the perception is we are such a red state. And that's simply not true. If the people who should vote did get out and vote, we would be a very distinct purple state. It would be split right down the middle, Democrats and Republicans. And that sounds great. Yeah, but we've just got to convince those younger people that they do Mm -hmm. make a difference. And... Young people often don't vote the political party. They vote on the issues. There is a huge effort going on in northeastern Oklahoma around Tulsa called One Voice where they promote issues. And Mm. the issues fall down both sides of the party spectrum, but they're the things that young people are interested in. Better quality of life, entertainment, better educational opportunities for their kids, better access to health care. The things the general public wants. Better access to better culture. Absolutely. And we lose so many businesses in Oklahoma because the CEOs and the corporate leaders, their idea of a good time is not going to a Friday night football game in high school. They want the ballet. They want opera. They want culture. They want to see the Oklahoma City Art Museum expand. We've got to provide those tools. We've had had people in here kind of uh, echo the same sentiment or explain this. It was Austin Hartel who was talking Uh, about uh, a basketball player who didn't want to come play for the Thunder because we didn't have professional ballet here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what, or uh, professional <clears throat> opera, I think is what it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we've heard similar things when we had Holly from, and Chad from OVAC, well, Chad wasn't from OVAC, but Holly was and talking about that and the, and how part of the lacking of that stems all the way down to the infrastructure of that is we're not providing the services for these things. We're not providing the funding and the subsidization that some of these other cities and countries are doing. I forget what country it was. Was it Germany? It was Germany. It wasn't just Germany. It was the city of Berlin. Yeah, yeah the city of Berlin. Like, basically, if you want to be an artist in Berlin, the 
just basically just pay for most of the the raw material part of it like go out there and create and make our city better and do this because we know it attracts people that like this and that's a, there's a distinction there like you're it's saying. beautiful there i had the chance to visit berlin about five six years ago and it was just amazing the opportunities there and you think about it you can really look at in oklahoma it's a tale of two cities when you look back to my days in college i was in at osu from 89 to 94 when we were there you're pretty much in between oklahoma city and tulsa mm-hmm. but all of us went to tulsa because tulsa was the hip town it was that would have cool been place. the cooler place to go to back then and a tax increase in oklahoma city made the world of difference maps program generated everything we're seeing in bricktown everything we're now seeing in midtown film row it's just been growing and the distinct difference now is people come to oklahoma city i live an hour away still in rush springs but i my nightlife is in oklahoma city because there are fun things to do and it's great opportunities for younger people and middle-aged people now that's right there is and that's going to keep our bright talent here it will it generated the ballpark where we have the Dodgers AAA affiliate here. We have the Thunder. We have amazing different opportunities. We're getting another soccer team, apparently. I saw that. <laughs> in yes. UConn, yeah. yeah, in UConn? Yeah. Well, and actually, I, I can't speak much to this, but I was recently privy to a conversation about the Thunder and how they came here. Um, and a big part of it was because we had the ability and capacity to offer the facility that the team wanted. They wanted That's and, right. And it was, it supposedly it was sort of, um, the, the Sonics or whatever at the time sort of called the bluff of the people in Seattle. Like they wanted these improvements and they weren't willing to, to put the funds up to make the improvements. And they thought that Oklahoma city was bluffing that we could never support this. We could never provide what we were saying, blah, blah, blah. And so they basically called a bluff, but it turns out we weren't bluffing because we had, the the money we had we were ready to go we were so eager for it and so we we won and it was you know from seattle's point of view we stole their team and all this other stuff but it's like no actually you didn't want to keep them bad enough That's and right. whether it was down to the people or the owners or whoever it was at the time the, you just didn't want it bad enough and we wanted it more and and we won and we proved ourselves with the hornets uh, all of right. this goes back to 2005 with katrina and mayor Cornette reaching out who had the idea of trying to build an expansion team well we had the opportunity to host that you even go back if you do a search on the internet you'll find my name attached to that i called the nba office and offered to run legislation to offer a sales tax exemption for the NBA tickets. And the reason I had done that is the year before, I had worked with Clay Pope, who was the chair of the Revenue Tax Committee, to do the same thing for NCAA basketball tournaments. I called and said, we've done this for basketball once. I'll be happy to run it again. And didn't know I was interfering with the negotiations that were going on. So (laughs) I apologize (laughs) to those people that still have heartburn over that. But I've always uh, been a little bit of a... Uh, I've never been afraid of anybody with another title. I've always tried to do what I felt was the right thing, and I right. threw that out there. And and all said and done, it ended up being a great thing to get that basketball team here. I and think it's, it's worked out wonderful. okay. I think it has. <laughs> now if we can just get a championship. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. It'll happen. It'll it will happen. happen. With you this gotta put team, the, a positive energy out there in the atmosphere. Absolutely. Yeah. With this team that we've got, it's been wonderful to go watch them. And it's been fantastic for the people that have the chance to go to the games. You know, and that's so this has definitely been a much more political show than we've ever done. So 
to move on to another subject we almost never talk about, which is sports. Um, <laughs> but I got the chance to go to a Thunder game a, a few weeks ago, and even though I, I don't keep up with sports at all, I know nothing about sports, um, man, going to a Thunder game is a hell of a good time. It is. Even if you don't know anything about sports, it's still a wonderful time, and it's amazing to have that opportunity always available. And it's a... It, how many basketball games do we have here a year? I mean, you could go to, what, 80? Could you go to, is, or is that, am I overshooting that? Nah, is know. it 80? I have no idea. That With might be playoffs? 80 in a season. You'll have, uh, I want to say there are about 70, there's between 70, 75 games, if I'm remembering right. Uh, half of them here, half of them away. It but just feels like there's a lot the of games. There, and yeah. there are. It's, it's tough for people who have a normal schedule to make all the games. And you'll often see people will split tickets. Well, and that's how, that's how I got tickets to this game because it, you know, somebody had these tickets and they couldn't use them because they weren't going to be in town that night. You know? And so they just handed them out. Mm-hmm. There you go. Have these tickets. You know? And that, that, that seems to happen a lot. And that's kind of cool when you don't really anticipate ever going to a game. And then one Sunday you're hanging out and not doing anything. And the next thing you know, you're going down into Bricktown and you're going to go see the thunder and you know the activity down there and the energy. It's all really contagious, you know? And when you get home that night, you feel like you've gone and done something, you know, you went and saw your team and you were part of what was going on in your city. And it, it feels great. Lord knows we needed something to unify Cowboys and Sooners. That's, right. on one banner. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> That's the way that is. is that how we're bringing the two together? Well, there was a great meme that popped up on Facebook um, after OU lost to Texas. And it uh, they used Homer Simpson, and Homer Simpson standing in front of a big hedge. And he's wearing an OU shirt, and then he backs up, and he disappears into the hedge. And when he comes back out, his he's OU shirt thunder. has become a thunder shirt. <laughs> and that just goes to prove you can't jump the gun. And I'm a rabid OSU fan, mm-hmm. but very happy that OU has the opportunity to make the Final Four and, and play in the championship oh, yeah, opportunity. Got, that's yeah. crazy. So they got picked to go to the championship? Yeah, or? and that's I don't know how that works. Well, Top four teams go into a playoff, and OU ended up uh, with the number four spot. Did they really? They'll play Clemson, and then Alabama and Michigan State are going to play each other. And then whoever wins out of the, those two games, one and four and two and three, will move Is on to the Is this the first time we've seen the system in – Second year it's second, they did it last second, year. Okay, they did it last yeah. year. Ohio okay. State, I think they were the fourth place team. They came at back to win the whole thing. So mm. bodes well for OU. That would be fantastic. I mean, what was, was. La- what was the last time OU had a national championship? Two thousand. That- yeah. Bob Stoops has been coaching that long. <laughs> He's been there yeah. a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's been that long. Wow. He started in ninety nine, I think. Ninety nine, two thousand. That was back in the day when I did follow sports. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I tell my wife, I don't. You know, the the that I follow sports has also kind of been decreasing and my father-in-law is you know spent his whole life in pennsylvania huge steelers fan and then uh when my wife and i got married he just decided he would be a huge ou fan if i'd be a big steelers fan but i don't follow any of it and i don't watch the thunder play yearly and i didn't i think i only watched one ou game this year and that was the ou texas game but man when there's a playoff and one of our teams is in it i'll watch every game yeah. like i tell my wife i love a bandwagon like, there's <laughs> yeah. gonna be a huge party and this team's gonna go I'm this, whole, on. this whole city's gonna get involved to support this team and we're all gonna have a good time that reminds me I'm of another in. meme i saw about oh you it was just the showing the sooner schooner and it was like even your mascot's a bandwagon 
Well, all I can say this year is me not having the opportunity to serve as governor of Oklahoma allowed me to manage and operate four fantasy football teams. So, there wow. you go. God. And I'm doing well so on all So you know sports. I, doing well in all of those. I, don't, I won't say I know a lot about sports, but I've been lucky with my teams this year. Nice. Good for you. I've never done that. I've never never done any kind of fantasy sports league no i don't even understand how that works well, and I, uh, I don't really even want to know how well, you know, I so, know. it's like I you want, could do a whole mystery. show on it <laughs> yeah. it probably could well, so we've sat I in a couple a of podcast about just we've sat in a couple of times with scott mitchell on uh, you know mitchell, mitchell in, in the morning, morning. and uh, i can't remember the guy's name but you know that the the guy who runs his board is the one that does the sports updates Hey, Cody. And Cody, so, you know, yeah. the whole time that, that Scott is talking and on Thursdays when they bring in, uh, you know, guests from, you know, the arts community or whatever, like Cody just kind of sits there quiet, just doing his job and looking up stuff on the Internet for Scott. And then Scott goes, all right, we're going to turn to Cody now for the sports minute. And Cody flips that switch and just, wow, like he just explodes <laughs> yeah. with all this sports data and he's in this information and these opinions. Like, where did that come from? What really blows me away about that, too, is in particular his finger on the pulse of like high, high school, school football yeah. and like rural like he's talking mm-hmm. about these teams out in nowhere just and about state competitions and terms like, like what? A, an opinion on the you... prior football team like what, I don't what? <laughs> yes <laughs> and i didn't mean to knock call our high school football earlier with my comments talking about the the uh, quality of life in the state because oh, we've yeah. got a lot of good teams out there and it's always fun to go watch these teams and uh, it's the sports opportunities we have here in Oklahoma, they're great for the kids. Yeah, yeah. it's great for yeah. it's great for small community. But in the in the same regard though, it does small community sports though isn't going to bring in, you know high brow. High brow or, right. or, or big, you know, big job. They're great opportunities projects. for the kids to learn camaraderie, teamwork. Uh, yeah. those essential skills that you need growing up. In fact, we were talking about that earlier about attending church. Uh, young people yeah. now the ones that aren't going to church, they really don't have that much interaction with the different generations. Yeah, where do we, we, we experience up, we our, our elders from mm-hmm. now? You know, uh, we were growing up. It was you see elders at church, and you see them obviously at school with teachers, and you really do have that disconnect nowadays. I will say, it seems like experiencing a lot of the stuff that we usually talk about—your new establishments, your plaza fest your first fridays all that kind of stuff those do seem to do a pretty decent job of spreading that gap of generations like i mean even at the pump i mean go on there on a friday night and the age range is 21 to 65 i mean that's a valid point yeah but there's still not a lot of interaction going on in those places i don't do any community work with those people that i see if you're gonna if if you go to the pump you got to make that interaction right. you have to be willing to be outgoing and you know go and talk to a stranger and you know make a connection with them as opposed to having you know like if you do go to church you're kind of you're in that environment and you're not shy to try and make that connection and also too, with growing up in church elders. and having access to those elders those elders also you know knew my grandma before i was even born so there was there was history there and you could kind of get some insight into your background and and how and you know and, and what created the small community that you live in today and that that disconnect is still there so and i still have a hard time visualizing visualizing myself as being middle-aged and yeah. one of the cool feelings i get when i'm out and about is the young people that come up to me and i'm talking 
eight, nine, ten year olds that recognize me and say, "Oh, you're the guy that ran for governor." Really? So you know that younger people are paying attention, mm-hmm. and it does mean a lot to them. I had a chance to go up to Deer Creek Intermediate and have lunch with two of the school kids uh, this last week. So getting nice. the opportunity to do stuff like that, and you know that you're making a difference, you're influencing them, you're being a positive role model for these young people. We do need to see more opportunities like that. We need that older generation to get active. And even my age group in 45, they need to be more involved. And it's tough because people are trying to lead their own lives. But we do need to find a way to carve out that time to make a difference. And there's no time like the president around the holidays. And you you still need to make your community connections. And, of course, living in a time now where you've got social media and you know your smartphones and people spend probably an inordinate amount of time on them because god knows we're probably all addicted to it in some way or another there isn't anything though out there that that really pushes anybody to go and and make that community connection unless unless it's like something that you feel the need to do um i mean are there any kind of drives or anything that we've seen or any initiatives to really push people to go and get involved in, you know, like a community activity of your choice? Not necessarily like volunteer, but like go be a part. So go join the Rotary or go, you know, be a part of like the Uptown Committee or whatever it is that you can be a part of. Just some kind of like general, hey, go and see where you can put in your energy and your effort and your time. There need to be opportunities like that. And I, I, I think you pointed out something that's very important. I don't think there has been an effort made to encourage people to get involved. You saw that with Kennedy with the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a big push to get young people involved. But think about it since then. There really hasn't been an mm-hmm. organized effort to get people active and volunteering and making a difference. And when you look at going back to the voting, uh, trying to find ways to get young people to vote. There needs to be that civic responsibility. People need to do it. As much time as you complain about how hard it is to vote, you probably could have voted in that that period of time. (laughs) And it would make a difference. But we've got to see more of that civic responsibility of people engaging and getting involved. Because I will vouch, it is a wonderful feeling. It's infectious how good it feels to make a difference in someone's life. And that's all you need is just that one time where you go and you get involved and then you can say, hey, I, you know, some kind of results based thing. Like I did that. I was I was a part of that. You know, I helped make that better. And it's contagious. I mean, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And the more you do it, the more likelihood you are to inspire somebody else. Someone will see you doing it, will notice you doing it. One of the things I'm doing right now, too, is a Christmas card drive. And it started because of an Internet rumor that was going on asking people to send Christmas cards to Walter Reed Hospital to an anonymous recovering American soldier. Problem is, Walter Reed won't deliver cards to anyone that it's not specifically addressed to an individual. So the school group that sent those had those cards returned. Uh, It was a a class in my hometown. The newspaper editor, Karen Goodwin, reached out to me and asked me to get the cards delivered. I worked it out where we were able to take them over to Reynolds Army Hospital at Fort Sill, which was in my district. That started something great because I made it my mission to try and educate people that that internet rumor is not true send them to one of the other programs and then we created a program called holiday for heroes where we deliver christmas cards and talking about how people need to get along and democrats and republicans don't necessarily hate each other uh, i reached out to rita aragon who is uh, mary fallon's uh, secretary of veterans affairs and 
Rita and I have been working together. We're going to expand the mission this year to deliver the cards, not only to Reynolds, but also to the VA hospital in Oklahoma City and the seven veterans centers around the state. And Governor Fallon put a quote in there talking about how she was proud of that effort and encouraged people to do that. So and that's an effort that's going on right now? That is an effort that's going on right now. It's, it's been going so since 2010. We've got... Yeah, turn around. Uh, it, we just put out the press release. Uh, there's a Facebook page called Holiday for Heroes that I run. The address where to send the cards is P.O. Box 559 in Rush Springs, Oklahoma. Address it to Holiday for Heroes or to me. And l- over the last couple of years, we've delivered three, 4,000 cards. Wow. And all of them were going to Reynolds, and so we're going to divide it up between the nine different places now, try and spread that good cheer because a lot of people are in the hospital over the holidays and sometimes they don't have a single person come visit them and that nope. makes a difference and i could have easily just let that program go or given it to somebody else but it does make me feel good to be able to make a difference there and do a little something good for people who have served our country that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway yeah that's why we're here and we're here to interact with other people so you guys are the first program i've actually talked about that uh, group that program that we're running so really? i appreciate y'all letting me do that yeah, of course well give that give that address again p.o box 559 rush springs oklahoma the zip is 73082 it's called holiday for heroes there is a facebook page I encourage people to sign up for that and we do it every year and the red cross also does a program locally they used to run a national program but uh they ran out of resources just like every other group out there they're struggling financially so they have to make tough choices but for this one uh, i go through all the cards individually make sure that they have proper messages we mm-hmm. encourage people just write a nice message to whoever will receive the card uh, being someone recovering in the hospital active duty or a veteran and it makes a difference of the the eyes of the people when they receive those it's just amazing absolutely it does and fortunately, the commanding general at Fort Sill has agreed to let us keep doing that year after year. We've gone through three different ones since we started the program, and each one of them has been fantastic. Let us well, continue I, I, that. I would assume that he would appreciate the kind of morale boost that that gives to everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the personnel there have been great to make sure it's, that, that are delivered. Got the idea of taking them there. My nephew was in the Army and was recovering at Reynolds from an injury he sustained uh, overseas. And my sister is also a nurse there at Fort Sill. So that's what led me to okay. get the idea to take yeah. those there. And it's it's been a fantastic program to do through Christmas. And that's Christmas. not a hard thing to get involved in. I mean, there's people who sit down and send out, you know, 30 Christmas cards, you know, just make include it 31. one of them with that address. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just do one more, put that P.O. box on there. And or, yeah, if you've only got 35 names on your list, but you bought a box of 50 Christmas cards. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You send the rest of them to Joe. And I've had people reach out, say, how's the best way to do it? Uh, we'll have them just throw all the cards in the envelopes and in my way. Of the first three packages I received this year, two were from out of state. So the message wow, is starting to spread spreading. all throughout Good. the country. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you – I mean – Jeez, you do. I've kind of dominated care. the conversation. I haven't let you guys ask me any well, questions. You guys have anything for me? <laughs> well, Jim, I do actually have a, li- a question going back to talking about voting and election and stuff. Because we were we were talking earlier about that disconnect between young and old, and we were talking about I was telling you my experience of going to vote at a church, and it was like ninety nine percent fifty plus year olds, and I wondered where all the people my age were. Is the places that people vote are usually either elementary schools or churches. It seems to be the general thing. Is that 
like, is that intentional? Is that restricted to those? It's just, those are the places that have opened their doors to that. Like could, uh, I don't know, a small business open its doors and be a, yeah. I mean, could you have a voting station be someplace like an elemental or a, I mean, I, well, I don't know what, what are the many, laws. I know we were about talking that. about, you know, like, a, a, you know, voting over an app, but there's just too many security concerns for that to really <laughs> ever be a reality. But to have a voting booth at like elemental. Right. But, or, or I'm thinking of it like to try to tap into those younger people right, where you, they are. Do you have a pop-up voting station? You know, you know, we do the, you know, uh, Allison Bailey does these pop-up shops here in Midtown. Like, can she set up her domes and make that an election station and attract younger people to a space that, but the voting maybe, booths where the people are. Well, and maybe they feel, you know, I feel weird about walking into a random church full of old people. And I'm like, is this where I'm supposed to be? Am I in the right place? And I'm just wondering if there's a way to, take the system we have and make it more approachable for people if they feel like, Oh, I don't, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not a Presbyterian, so I don't want to go in the Presbyterian church cause I don't want to you know, offend anybody or something like that. Or I feel weird about walking into an elementary school cause you know, and with security nowadays, schools have been, uh, hesitant to do too much more. So, and I was fortunate. I ran the legislation years ago for the help America vote act that uh, was part of a national effort to try and modernize voting here in the different states and authored the provision about provisional balloting to make sure everybody had the chance to cast a vote. And if their name was not on the rolls, they could still vote and they would go back to the election board and verify. All of this is pretty much regulated by the county election boards. The county election boards, every 10 years after the census, will modernize the precinct list and go through and shut some precincts down, open up precincts in other areas. Now, to have a precinct, you also have to have the volunteers, and they pay them next to nothing. And the average age of the precinct workers is mid-70s. So we do need more people working at the precincts who will spend that 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. sitting there, will not participate in any political activity because they cannot direct people to vote one way or the other. They just have to sit there and, and advise them on how to vote. So we need more people who are willing to do that. And any place can do it. They just need to visit with the county election board any and offer that. Any place can do it? Yes. There are some restrictions where you can't obviously go to a bar and do it. Sure. Because <laughs> you can't enter a bar if you're under 21 so there are certain things with under under the law that you can and can't do but a place like a coffee shop absolutely they could do that and the business owners will want to make sure that it won't distract from their flow of normal customers but we do need more people that are willing to do that where it's convenient for the voters to go we do need to make it more convenient Move election day to Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of states Move do that. Saturday. We are very restrictive in Oklahoma in some ways. Uh, you have some states that vote by mail. You have some states that have early absentee voting in different locations. We've done a pilot project in Oklahoma where there have been some extra satellite spots other than voting at the county election board on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before the election. But that's up to the election board to determine where those go. And sometimes there's criticism that they're put in an area that would benefit one party over the other. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a certain amount of fairness in place there to make sure that all options are considered to allow as many people to vote as possible. And I will give credit, the election board 
has done a good job with the limited means they have. But we do need more from our legislators. David Holt, a senator who's a Republican, authored the legislation this year to allow for registration online. And that's certainly a great step oh, to get more yeah. people involved. That became law November 1st. Or automatic but, registration if you get a driver's license. Don't some states do that? Some states do that. I certainly think that would be a great thing to do. It would be difficult to get passed in Oklahoma because there is the mindset that younger people are going to vote Democratic. So a Republican-controlled legislature is hesitant about that. God. They're going to keep it. Yeah. Wait, so, so you can register to vote online now in the state of Oklahoma? You can. Okay, so get online. <laughs> register to vote. Just yeah, Google. Google. You have no excuse now. None. You can do it from your freaking phone. All right, one more hot topic issue before we end this. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting close. Um, recreational marijuana in the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> Possibility? I don't think it, we're going to see recreational use of marijuana anytime in the near future. When you look at the counties, almost one third of our counties are still "quote unquote" dry. They oh, still really? have liquor by the drink. Uh, in early That's 2014, crazy. only 52 counties uh, had modern liquor laws. Uh, the other 25 uh, were still operating under uh, uh, where you can't drink on Sundays. There are yeah. still restrictions. Of, wow drinking uh, from a bottle of bars so with that i seriously don't think we'll see yeah. anything but i will say the efforts that have been out there for medicinal marijuana i think we're going to start seeing some discussion there my personal opinion on that is we trust doctors to prescribe codeine yeah. and <laughs> narcotics but we won't trust them with something like that yeah I think we need to have that discussion on what's going to be beneficial. My dad had very severe pain issues from a truck wreck he had when I was little. So he had to take pain pills a lot. I think there need to be options there, and I think that's something that's well-regulated under a prescription. But I do think we're going to see some changes in that area. Oh, yeah. That definitely feels like one of those topics where it's like if you talk to people, it seems like everybody is just like, yeah, let's do this. But it seems like that block is with... The legislature is still saying, well, it's not what people in this state want. It's like, well, have you asked the have people? You, have you talked to them about like, it? And yeah. the pharmaceutical companies obviously will be opposed right. to that. So you're going to have a lobbying effort that will fight that. And that goes back to a lot of the problems we see in politics and the people truly getting what they want or deserve. There is dark dollars involved in each mm -hmm. race. Uh, there are outside resources that we really need to shed transparency in the light of day on what happens with campaign finances. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, all right. I think that's going to, we're cutting it pretty close yeah, to an we hour. Can. <laughs> we could probably just keep talking about all As kinds usual, of stuff. You know, we could do that three hour long podcast if you want. Have yeah. me back anytime. Well, then just uh, just <laughs> to reiterate, will. you can register to vote online when it's time for you to vote. It's your responsibility. Go do it. That's right. Yeah. I am still active out there. Uh, certainly want to keep in touch with people. I do want to continue in public service. My website's still running, joedorman.com, J-O-E-D-O-R-M-A-N. Um, I'm active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So want to hear from people, and I want to remain active, and I want to continue being a voice for some of those causes out awesome. at the Capitol. And it's always good to see you out there. Yep. It's great Thank to see you, you guys. I'm sure I'll see you at Bingo Night again. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I love Bingo. Woo. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to The Wafty Show with Stephen, Aaron, and John. 
As always, we need to thank Joshua Path for the use of our theme song, Cement Truck, off the album Between Heaven and Jonestown, recorded by the magnificent Kurt PR. Kurt's awesome! That is available on iTunes, CD Baby, and anywhere the internet can be found. Remember, as you go out to visit our local places and events, make sure you take care of those who take care of you. Tip your waiters, waitresses, bartenders, musicians, and artists. They're out there working hard for you. One of our favorite adventures is the Escape OKC. Wafty listeners get an exclusive discount when they use the coupon code listen to wafty That's listen the number 2, W-A-F-T-I. Visit theescapeokc.com and book your room now. You can help us continue our urban adventures by going to our website, www.waftyshow.com, and clicking on Support Us, where you will find a variety of ways to contribute, including becoming a Wafty Knight, which will grant you access to our exclusive content. We come out with a new episode every Monday. You can find us on iTunes by searching We Apologize for the Inconvenience, where you can subscribe, rate, and comment. We're on soundcloud.com slash show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wafty Show, Facebook.com slash Wafty Show, and of course, www.waftyshow.com. We'll, we'll see, see you next week. week. Woo! You get the whiskey, baby. I'll get the wine now.